you're listening to the Sojourn Montrose Sermon Podcast. To get connected at Sojourn Montrose, visit our website, sojournmontrose.org. Christ is risen. Hallelujah. Well, my name is Reed. I'm one of the pastors here at Sojourn. It's my joy to welcome you to Sojourn Montrose this morning. And um, as was said just right at the beginning of our gathering, we would love for you to plug into our community. So if you've been coming around for a little while or you're new or this is your very first time, we, we would just love to extend that invitation to you to join um, in one of our parish gatherings, which are our, our smaller groups meeting throughout the week, sharing a meal and talking about what it means to follow Jesus in the context of everyday life. Um, but this is Easter Sunday, and so you've seen in our liturgy, as we've kind of gone through the songs, there have been scripture readings that are all from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 24, about the resurrection of Jesus. And now, this morning, we get to one of our, and you just heard Holly say, uh, or, or read from one of the most famous and unique passages in the resurrection story. In fact, it's only found in the Gospel of Luke, and it's where Jesus appears to and walks with these two disciples on the road to Emmaus. There's so much going on here um, for us to soak up this morning. So let me pray for our time, and then we will, uh, we will get to it together. Let me pray. Lord, would you, would you meet us wherever we are, whether there are um, some of us in the room that are doubting or confused, whether there's some of us who have walked with you for a long time, whether there's some of us who feel that you're distant, whether there are some of, us, uh, some of us who feel that you are very near, I pray that you would meet us on our journey and would we learn from you and your word. Would you interpret yourself, Holy Spirit, would you show us the things of God that were uh, for many of us, if not most of us, at one time foolish that have become wisdom. We know that only you can do this, Lord. So would you be with us as we proclaim to ourselves once again that we follow and believe in a risen Savior, a Messiah, a risen King. Lord, we love you and we believe that you love us. Will you be with us this morning? And we pr- In your name we pray, amen. Well, what does it mean to be a Christian? Why do we do this? Why do we do the things we do? Why do we act the way we act? Why do we sing and gather and evangelize? Why do we do any of this? And, and some in our culture might answer this question, like what is a Christian in, in this way? They might say like, it's a good way to live. It's a good moral or ethical code to live by. Others might say, yeah, Christianity is just one of the many paths to God and, and some people in America choose Christianity and some people in other parts of the world choose other things, but they all lead to the same God. Or some people might say that, well, Christianity is just this, this group of, or a tribe of people that come with a set of beliefs that you can choose to belong with, of many tribes to belong with in the West. And while I'd argue that, yeah, Christianity might be in part some of those things, I'd, I'd say that Christianity is something totally far and above any of those one little facets of what it might get defined as. Ultimately, it's Christianity is defined by who we follow, and that is Christ. And, and here's what I mean. The disciples had lived with and followed Jesus, right? So they had experienced his teaching. They knew the moral and ethical teaching of Jesus. They knew all of the ethical code to live by. And they had chosen to follow Jesus, but they had options. They could have stayed with the Jewish legal system, or they could have lived like the Pharisees, or they could have followed the way of the Greek philosophers, or they could have gone the Roman citizen way. 
but they chose the path of following Jesus. And they had community on this path, right? They, they lived with one another. They had meals with one another. They walked with one another. They traveled with one another. They, they slept in the same rooms. They had laughter and fellowship with each other. So all these things that our culture might say Christianity is, the disciples had those things when Jesus was alive and when they followed Jesus. And yet when Jesus was crucified on Friday, they don't have anything. They are if we look at all the gospel accounts of the disciples after Jesus is killed, they are doubting, depressed, scattered disciples. The movement has no momentum. The Christian movement has no power behind it. There, there is simply doubting, sad disciples who are wandering away from Jerusalem. Without Jesus raised from the dead, there is no Christianity. There is no movement, there is no church, there is no us right now, right here, without a living Christ in an empty tomb. But when Jesus rises from the dead and appears, it changes everything. D.A. Carson, uh, a scholar, puts it this way, the entire Bible pivots around one weekend in Jerusalem about 2,000 years ago. Attempts to make sense of the Bible that do not give prolonged thought to integrating the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus are doomed to failure. At best, they are exercises in irrelevance. Or Jaroslav Pelikan puts it this way, if Christ is not risen, nothing matters. And if Christ is risen, nothing else matters. These two disciples are on the road and by all accounts uh, that we know from scholarship, they're heading to Emmaus, which is likely where they were from. The movement that they left everything from, they probably left their jobs, and we see this all throughout the Gospels, right? People leaving jobs and lives and families to go follow Jesus. But these two disciples, after Jesus is crucified, are going home. They're not going to meet with everybody else and figure out what they can lie about or how to spread this false news. They're just going home. They're going back to Emmaus. This is a solemn walk. We don't know much about these men, but we know that they were followers of Jesus. They weren't part of the 12 disciples. They were extra disciples, extra followers. They certainly knew the disciples. They certainly traveled with and knew Jesus, or at least they thought they did, right? They thought, as the scripture tells us, that he was coming back to lead a revolution, to redeem Israel, they say, and be her king. And yet they walk home to Emmaus from Jerusalem with nothing. They attended the execution of their leader, brutal and savage as it was. And they walk home, the mission is over. They return to their lives before they gave it all up to follow Jesus. And they're sad, the scripture tells us. But when Jesus appears risen, it changes everything. Let's read Uh, In verse 13, again, it says this, that very day, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem, and they were talking to each other about all these things that had happened. And while they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them, but their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, what is this conversation that you were holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still and they looked sad. Then one of them named Cleopas answered him, Are you the only visitor in Jerusalem that does not know the things that have happened in these days? Skip down to verse 25. And Jesus says to them, oh, foolish foolish ones and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. 
See, they're, they're walking home defeated, but when the risen Jesus appears, he changes everything. And at first it says God kept them from being able to recognize Jesus. Why? We aren't given a reason that they're blinded to Jesus's presence. Many Christians throughout history and even today and non-Christians for that matter have desired that Jesus reveal himself to them, right? Like physically, like physically, I, I want Jesus to just, just show up once in, in his physical body and appear to me. I have a friend who recently told me that he wished everything he understood about Christianity, he wished that was true but he would never believe it unless Jesus manifested in physical form in front of him. So why doesn't God do that? Well, I don't know the outright answer to that question, but I know that the reason God doesn't do that is consistent with what he does throughout all the scriptures. There's something about God's humility. There's something about the way that he typically reveals himself that is slow and humble and quiet and personal. It's a, he's a, he reveals himself in a personal and humble way to people. He could have come to earth to save the world full of majesty and brilliance. He could have come bright and burning like the sun with legions of angels. But how does Jesus come? He comes as an infant in a dirty manger. He grows into a normal man that we esteemed not, not even a pretty man. He comes and he serves and he dies. Even now, to many of us in the room, God has revealed himself. Jesus has revealed himself, but he's revealed himself not by manifesting in front of us and demanding that we worship him, but by making what is foolish wise to us through his scriptures, through prayer, sometimes the prayer of our parents, the faithful prayers of our friends, through sermons and sacrament, through songs how Jesus reveals himself even now. So to these two, on the road, the risen Lord reveals himself, but he hides himself. It's not an act of deception. It's simply the way he has consistently chosen to come in humility, with righteousness and patience, and he comes personally. So Jesus is risen and present and the two disciples are shocked that this stranger who they don't know as Christ himself has not heard what happened in Jerusalem. This was such an insane event that it stirred the entire city of Jerusalem that scholars and historians outside of the Bible have written about the crucifixion of Jesus. So they can't fathom someone not having heard that Jesus was crucified. So they recount the story for the stranger and this stranger responds with this magnificent wisdom regarding who Jesus is and what he has come to do. The two walking, they, they didn't get it. They didn't understand. It's not because they were particularly dim. It's because they and all of us need God to show us himself. We need God to reveal himself to us. And remember, when the risen Jesus appears, it changes everything. So just think about Jesus' words at his resurrection. He says, uh, or at least at his ascension, think about Matthew where he says, all authority in heaven and on earth and under the earth has been given to me. All there just means all. All authority in the universe has been granted to the risen Christ. And what does he do with all of that authority in this moment on the road? He, he comes, he veils himself and he slowly walks seven miles and shows them wisdom. He shows them with all, all authority, all power, legions of armies at his disposal. Other scriptures tell us that the earth is his footstool and Jesus comes and walks, risen, slowly. 
He, he appears and it changes everything. And he does something that many of us wish we could experience. He preaches to them a sermon from the entire Old Testament, just saying Moses and the prophets was a, was a, a particular, like, simple way for the Israelites to just say all the Old Testament. And they would say, yeah, the Moses and the prophets. Like, that's what we read. We read the Old Testament. And Jesus does that. He shows them how everything in those old scriptures points to who Christ is and what he would come to do. He shows them how... He was the second Adam who did not fall into temptation, but instead lived this righteous and perfect life. He showed them that he was the greater Moses who would lead his people from the bondage of sin and slavery into a free promised land. He showed them that that he would embody the sacrificial legal system that we find in Leviticus that, that required innocent blood be shed for the atonement of sins. He said that really points to the Christ. He would show them how he was the greater David who was the shepherd king of the people of God who defeats their enemies for them. He showed them how the Psalms, the songs and prayers of God's people sang of a savior who would be both priest and king. He showed them Isaiah the prophet who spoke of the virgin born Messiah who would come as suffering servant before raising from the dead and being inaugurated as the prince of peace, the the Lord of lords over an everlasting and righteous kingdom. He does this for seven miles on a road with two disciples, one of whom we don't even know the name of. We barely know Cleopas. It's like a, oh, one named Cleopas, right? This isn't Paul, this isn't Moses. These are two ordinary followers of Jesus like you and me, who Christ himself appears to and says, let me show you how all of this points to me. Don't you wish you could have heard Jesus interpret himself on that road? Well, I have good news for you. After this event, men like Paul, Peter, James, John, Luke, all all the New Testament authors, they're filled by the Holy Spirit, the same Holy Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead. And with that divine wisdom, they write about the very things that Jesus is talking about with those disciples on the road. And so we don't have to wonder about how Jesus interpreted himself on the road that day. We don't have to wonder about how he interpreted the the prophets and Moses in that day. The author of Hebrews tells us Jesus is the great high priest who we're looking for. Paul in his letters to Romans tells us that all died in Adam, but all are alive in the second Adam, who is Jesus. Paul tells us that Abraham was saved by faith in Jesus. Peter shows us that Isaiah points directly to Christ. How do you know, or how do, what do we suspect Jesus talked about on that road? We don't have to wonder. We don't have to wonder because the same Holy Spirit that spoke through Christ, the word made flesh, as John tells us, spoke through the men who wrote the New Testament and that same Holy Spirit, good news for believers in the room, indwells you and makes what is foolishness or what seems impossible to become wisdom. And the good news is he, he has invited us to spend time with him. He has invited himself to spend time with him. So my my exhortation to you is to spend time with him, to to go to the scriptures in, in quiet places and pray, Lord, would you linger with me? Would you walk with me? Would you teach me about yourself? It's exactly consistent with what he wants to do and how he operates. Personably, quietly, humbly in the quiet places, Christ walks with us. He wants to spend time with you as you walk your road daily. 
And by the time the disciples and Jesus finished this seven mile journey, the wisdom of God and the presence of the risen Christ, even though they don't know it's Jesus, has become intoxicating to them. This is what it says in verse 28. So they drew near to the village to which they were going. He acted, Jesus acted as if he were going further, but they urged him strongly saying, stay with us for it is toward evening and the day is now far spent. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took the bread and blessed it and broke it and gave it to them. And their eyes were opened and they recognized him and he vanished from their sight. And they said to each other, did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures? And they rose that same hour in the middle of the night and returned to Jerusalem and they found the 11 and those who were with them. They were gathered together and they came and they said, the Lord has risen indeed. And he appeared to Simon. Simon was right. And then they told about what had happened on the road and how it was known to them in the breaking of bread. So when they finally get to their home in Emmaus, they don't know this is Jesus, but they feel something. They feel like there's wisdom seething from the stranger and they say, oh, please don't go. Please don't keep going. Would you stay with us for a night? And at that table, it, it, wasn't, it wasn't the interpretation of scripture that awoken them to Jesus's presence. It was his service to them. You see that? He, he sits at the table and he breaks bread for them. It's not even his table. He breaks bread for them like he had done the night that he was betrayed, like he had done so many times before in the miracles of multiplication and so on. At all the dinners they had seen Jesus break bread and bless it. And right when he serves them, it hits them. This is Jesus. This really is Jesus. They say, the risen Jesus has appeared and it changes everything for them. They say, we, oh, did our hearts not burn within us? They had spent the whole day with him and they had no idea, but, but were our souls not just leaping within us? Were our hearts not pounding in our chest as he spoke and we walked? Did we not feel God's love and did we not feel his wisdom? But it took this act of service, Jesus serving them like he had served so many people before them to know this is Jesus and he's alive. These two drop everything that hour. We were already told that it was dark, they stopped, it was the night. They had walked their seven miles. In the middle of the night, they drop everything and they run back to Jerusalem, another seven miles. And they proclaim the gospel. They proclaim the good news, the same news we've proclaimed 2,000 years later this morning multiple times. They said, Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. It's where we get those words. Remember, before the resurrection, before the risen Jesus appeared to them and changed everything. There was no movement. There was no way to go. There was no ethical thing to follow. The redeemer was dead. They thought he would redeem Israel. He did not. He failed. The conquest is over. There's nothing to do anymore. They just go home. They just go home. It's sad. It's lonely. There was nothing. But when the risen Jesus appears, it changes everything. If you are a believer in this room, there was a time where Jesus walked with you before you woke up to his presence. Do you remember that time? And get this, the primary way that God shows you that he loves you is that he reveals himself to you. The primary way that God shows you that he loves you is that he reveals himself to you, that he, Jesus, reveals himself to you. That means if you are in the room, God is loving you right now through his own revelation of himself. 
There are other ways that God shows us he loves us, of course, but if you consider yourself a follower of Jesus, the fact that you know him, the fact that you walk with him, the fact that you believe that he is the risen savior and Lord means that you have been, your eyes have been opened. You have been awoken to the fact that Jesus is God and therefore it's the ultimate way that he can show you his love. It's the ultimate way that he can show you his love. His love is not best shown in giving you money and cars or houses or comfort or relationship. It's not, his love is not best shown in making you comfortable. His love is not best shown in alleviating suffering. Oh, that we wish he would sometimes. No, his love is best shown in that he gives us himself in the midst of suffering. That he gives us himself in the midst of trial, sickness, sadness, joy, so for most of us in the room, we don't have to wonder if God loves us. We don't have to wonder if we've been good enough lately or uh, if he's pleased with our behavior, if he's pleased with the way that we've proclaimed that he is risen. We don't have to wonder about those things. We, just, we can stand on the surety that God loves us because he has made himself known to us. He has made himself known as the risen savior and Lord to us. If you know Jesus in the room, if you've walked with him for years or just minutes, you have been given the firmest and best assurance that God loves you, his son. John 3, 16, for, for God so loved the world that he, what, he gave his son to them. John in his gospel will later say, what is eternity? The manifested presence of Jesus. The manifested presence of Jesus, the revelation of Jesus. Eternity is just a constant awareness that Jesus is risen and alive. Many of you know what I'm talking about. You walk with him, maybe not perfectly, of course not perfectly. Sometimes you felt distant or you feel like he's been distant, but you've walked the road patiently with him and asked him to reveal more and more about himself and you've spent time in his word. And sometimes that time feels so intimate and sweet that when it starts to fade, you say, oh Jesus, please don't go. Please linger here for a little while longer. Please stay and teach me more about yourself, whether that's a season or a moment, you felt that. And my prayer for all of us is that we would continue this walk for decades as we experience the love of God in the revealed and manifested risen Christ. And if you don't know Jesus, if you don't believe he is who he said he is, but you're here, that means that God is trying to show you his love. He's trying to show you that when the risen Christ appears and is real to you, then it does change everything. He wants to show you that. But if you don't believe he rose from the dead, there is nothing. This is what 1 Corinthians 15 says about it. And if Christ has not been raised from the dead, our preaching is in vain, your faith is in vain, we're misrepresenting God. If the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you're still in your sin. If Christ has not been raised, we are of all people the most to be pitied. Without the resurrection of Christ, his righteous life is not applied to us. His death for our sin was not effective, so it was in vain. Our faith is pointless. I'm preaching for no reason. We got dressed up today for no reason. We came here today for no reason if Christ was not raised. Just like the disciples on the road, without a risen Christ, we are to be pitied above everybody else. We're to be walking away from Jerusalem, looking sad 
And if a stranger wandered by, they'd say, what's wrong? What's so sad? Well, our leader's dead. We're just going home. First Corinthians continues and says, but in fact, but in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of all who have fallen asleep. For as in Adam all die, but also in Christ shall be made alive all who believe. For those of us who believe in the risen Jesus, we know that it changes everything. It changes everything. And for those of us who are in the room who have walked with Jesus, even for a little bit, what do we do? Well, first, we continue to walk the road with our good shepherd king, the risen Jesus. We let him teach us through his spirit, through community, through prayer, through the saints, through sermons and songs. We eat with him when we come to the table. We let him break bread for us. And we're again, daily, if we need to, awoken to his presence. We're awoken to the fact that Jesus is alive and he is present And when we are, when we get reawoken to the fact that Christ is alive, not dead, we run to the city to proclaim that he is risen indeed. Because when the risen Christ appears, it changes everything. So just like those disciples ran back to Jerusalem to proclaim the risen Christ, we run to people who don't know that Jesus is alive. We run to the doubters, we run to the lost, we run to the suffering and the broken and the sick, we run to the wealthy and to the poor, we run to the abused and the oppressed, and we run to the oppressor. We run and we offer them the risen Christ because only the risen Christ can change everything. We go and proclaim the exact same thing that these very disciples proclaimed over 2,000 years ago when that tomb outside of Jerusalem was found to be empty and when a stranger made their hearts burst in their chest until he broke bread for them and they said, ah, it is Jesus. We proclaim that Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. The risen Lord wants to love you and walk with you and reveal himself to you And when he does, we run and shout the message of God's love embodied in the risen Christ because when the risen Christ appears, it changes everything. Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. He has revealed himself indeed. And in that, I hope you are assured that he loves you. If you believe that, then you know Jesus is alive. You know he's gracious and effective in saving, and you know that you are more loved than you could ever dare imagine. And you know that his love will not stop ever. His love will not stop ever for those who know him. And we know that when the risen Jesus appeared, it changed everything, but there's a time where he's coming back. There's a time where he's coming back, and when he does, it will change everything. No longer will we wonder about what Jesus might have said or what he might look like or where he might be in the moments of sorrow and suffering. There won't be those moments and we won't have to wonder where Christ is. He'll be here among us forever. He is coming back and when he comes back, it will change everything. Let's pray. Lord, if you are speaking with anyone in this room, calling them to yourself, revealing yourself to them. I pray that the heart of that man or woman would be softened right now in this instant. And they would say, I don't know all the ins and outs, Lord, but I want you to stay. I want you to teach me more 
I want everything to be changed. And Lord, maybe there's some in the room <clears throat> who have or would consider themselves those who, who know you and have walked with you, but they just feel like you've been distant. Or maybe they felt like they've been distant. Would you, like a stranger on a road, say, ah, oh, but I've been here the whole time. Let me serve you. Let me feed you. We know that you do not abandon your children. You've said you won't, and what you say comes to pass. It's true. And so, Lord, I pray that even for those in the room who feel very near to you, that this morning we would remember and awaken to an even greater degree of who you are and who you are making us to be. And Jesus, we worship you as the risen Lord, the firstborn of the dead, the defeater of death, our personal king, savior, teacher, Lord servant, shepherd. We worship you, Lord. Be with us this morning as we continue to celebrate the resurrection. In your name we pray, amen.